episode 38, Brendan Kumarasamy, founder of Master Talk. Yeah, so I'm sure like many guests on the show, we've made thousands, but if I had to pick one out of the, the sea of contenders, it would probably be when I started Master Talk. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes and more, go to markgraben.com slash mistake38. And now on with the show. Well, hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graben, and our guest today is Brendan Kumarasamy. He is the founder of Master Talk. It's a YouTube channel that he started to help the world master the art of public speaking. Um, so, Brendan, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Mark. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm a little self-conscious. I feel like you're going to be evaluating my public speaking. <laughs> you know, everyone says that when I'm always on the show. <laughs> Don't worry, you're safe. All right. And you are joining us uh, from Montreal, correct? You got it. So you are our first guest uh, from Canada. And uh, since it's Montreal, I feel like I should say bonjour. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's Montreal is this weird place where everyone speaks multiple languages at the same time. So it's fun. It's always fun to be here. Yeah. And, and, and my French is very limited. So I know everybody would judge me if I tried to say uh, more than a pleasant bonjour, but uh, but Brendan, thank you. Welcome for being here on the show. Um, so, as we as we typically do, I'll jump right in and ask, uh, what do you consider to be your favorite mistake? Yeah, so I'm sure like many guests on the show, we've made thousands, but if I had to pick one out of the the sea of contenders, it would probably be when I started Master Talk. So. For those who don't know, it's the YouTube channel I started. I started in my mother's basement, essentially. I had no money, no capital. So I was just making videos with my phone. So obviously, there's nothing wrong with that. But over time, I was thinking about ways to to add distribution. Like, how do I get this to more people? Mm -hmm. And I had this brilliant idea. I'm obviously being sarcastic here. To email every university professor in Canada. Because if even 1% of those professors shared all of my videos with their students. Since the students always change, I, I have the, the best distribution a YouTube channel could ever have in the world, right? Or so I thought anyways. Yeah. So every day after work, I would spend, I'm not even joking, I would spend four hours a day, and I did that for six months, sending 500 cold emails every single day. So in that six-month period, I probably sent upwards of 40,000 emails, something insane. And the response that I got, which is the drum roll, essentially, was a lot of hate email, a lot of laughing at my face, a lot of, you're a kid, who are you to share public speaking to us? Most of the teachers that I messaged didn't even see the video. They just commented on how bad I was and a terrible human being I was for quote-unquote spamming them. Yeah. Even if I just sent them one email that never followed up with them. So that was really embarrassing and a waste of my time because if I had used that same 40,000, I had just sent that to 40,000 podcasts, I would already have a profitable business. So was, I do now, but I'm saying like I would be a lot more successful. So I think the lesson there, besides it being a complete and utter waste of my time, was this idea of focusing 
on really, really small niches who are really excited to hear from you. So this is what Seth Godin calls the smallest viable audience, who are the tiniest group of people that would love to hear from you. And for me, what I realized over time, this is probably a year into it, which is dumb me. I should have figured that out a couple of months in. Podcast hosts, double-edged sword, yeah. right? They see the value of communication because they're hosts. And because they see the YouTube videos, they go, well, I got to share this with people. It's probably useful. So that was probably the, my favorite mistake. Yeah. Um, so did you, I, I always, you know, sometimes the follow-up question is, when did you recognize it was, it was a mistake. Did you get a few nasty gram responses and then continue with this path of, of emailing all of these professors? When, when did it finally kick in to say, okay, I'm seeing a pattern. This is not right or wrong. This is not being received well to go and adjust the approach. You know, I wish I was smart like you, Mark, and I adjusted quickly. And frankly, I didn't. I just kept sending. I was just like, well, I guess this university is terrible. So I'm just going to go to the next one. But then it kept happening. But by the time I, I realized it wasn't working, I had already emailed all the professors. <laughs> so and, and so not, these, not the smartest move. Well, and were, were these, were these um, like communications or, or speakers related to speaking or no, it was broader than It was than literally that. everybody. I emailed science professors, history. You know, don't get me wrong. Like, some of the people like I still have a relationship with but out of the tens of thousands of professors I emailed, the end result was like seven professors. So not the most uh, effective use of my time. I was better off just meeting them in person at that point if I was going to get seven <laughs> yeses. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, one of the themes here in the, the podcast is um, – you know, for one, recognizing you know, we're all human. We all try things that don't work, and we sometimes then label those as mistakes. But then, you know, we reflect and we learn from those mistakes. So I appreciate you, um, you know, sharing that. It's always tempting to want to tell our success stories, and I'm and I'm yes. sure you know there. What, what would you say are the success stories then related to uh, to Master Talk and what you've then done on YouTube? Yeah, for sure. So, so like you alluded to, I completely agree. Most people do want to talk about their success. And for the first year and a half, there was no success with Master Talk. I didn't have a single client. Uh, nothing really worked. I was still in my mother's basement, the videos. I think what really changed for me was when I realized the bigger vision of what it could be. So when I was six or seven months into Master Talk, I realized that nobody in their 20s was sharing communication tips for the world to learn from. And most speech coaches who are very wealthy, especially the ones who are the best in the world, who don't share any of their content for free. So I saw this interesting niche, but I only did it after taking action. I saw that gap in the market. So that's when I really started 10xing on my production, 10xing on everything that I was doing. And I started really funneling a lot of my day job income into video production. And then the YouTube channel started to pick up. So I guess the big success now is, you know, I have a thriving uh, coaching practice and successful YouTube channel. So I think the future of that is just keep growing and see what happens, but it's been fun so far. So I'm going to call a timer out real quick. I had muted myself so I could take a sip of water and not let my ice clink. And on my Mac, I somehow invoked Siri. And I'm not sure how that happened. So I couldn't hear you for about two seconds. I don't know what impact that has on the recording. So I've made a mistake. Um, is it okay if we go back and, and, and sort of just in case, I'm gonna go back and ask you again about successes. Say I'm a living demonstration of, I need to figure out how I did that so I can prevent 
that from happening again. No worries. Um, okay, so I'm gonna just think of the edit point. So what would you say then are some of the successes that you've found um, through Master Talk, through your YouTube channel, Brendan? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say for the first year and a half, Mark, you know, there was no success. It was just a guy in a basement making YouTube videos. And I didn't think much of it, but I think the difference maker is when I realized the bigger vision of what it could be. So for instance, let's say you're in high school or in college and you want to get better at public speaking. Well, on YouTube, you don't really have that many options, especially in their own age range. So since I'm the only person in the space who's creating high quality content, there's a great opportunity, especially in the media space, to build something big, especially on communication. So when I started seeing the bigger vision, I started taking it more seriously. That's when I I spent a lot more money on video production. I hired someone to help me figure out how to frame the content in a way that's super entertaining and professional. And then the coaching clients and the, the YouTube channel started to grow a lot more. So there's definitely been some success that I'm proud of, but there's definitely a lot more to go as well. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, what would you say are some of the, the most common mistakes that public speakers make. I, I do a lot of speaking myself, so I have kind of a personal vested interest in uh, the advice and ideas you have here. So I guess, you know, first off, we'll talk about what are some of the common mistakes, and then we can maybe talk about some of the, the lessons learned from that. Most common yeah. public speaking mistakes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would say the biggest one that stands out to me right now is most people don't know how to practice public speaking. Hmm. So let's say you take any skill, like piano, Let's say me and you want to learn piano for the first time. We have two options. Option A is picking 15 different songs, trying to figure things out. Now for Mozart, that's going to work just fine. But unfortunately for us, we're not Mozarts. We have to go to option two, which is practice one song 15, 20 times. So let's say we did that. After a couple of months, you know that song perfectly. And we go to a black tie event, like a black gala or you know a nice fancy place to be. And there's a piano there. And you say, hey, you know, I know one of these songs. Might as well start playing. And then you start playing that one song, you know, and everyone around there at the event goes, wow, Mark, you're so amazing at piano. Have you been doing this for many years? You go, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. I'm just pretty good at what I do. But even if you only know one song, that confidence boost that everyone else gives you makes you believe that you're an incredible pianist. So you start to practice other songs and you're off to the races. This analogy applies for anything that we do for the most part. Mm -hmm. When we start a podcast, a YouTube channel, we start to cook for the first time, run, jogging. It's a, it's a perpetuity. It, we do the same thing over and over again, and then we get better results. But we don't do that with public speaking. It's Wednesday, our boss, our client, our teacher comes up to us and says, Mark, I need a presentation for Friday. So you look at everyone, you go, okay, it looks like I'm not talking to my family for two days. Mm -hmm. Get a presentation together, you present it, and all the hard work you put into it, you crumble up the presentation, throw it in the garbage, move on to the next one. Whereas the key here is that the best speakers in the world only do one or two presentations, but they present it hundreds of times. And so there's a difference between, um, and is, is the audience for your YouTube channel, people who are presenting in a semi-public setting like a workplace or people who are up on stage in a more public speaking sort of setting? Yeah, it's a great question. So, so I would say for the YouTube channel in particular, my target audience is anyone who wants to share an idea that adds value to people. So if you're 
you know, a mother, a single mother in, in a city who has an amazing cupcake recipe to share. If you're an eight-year-old girl who wants to raise a hundred bucks for charity, or if you're a senior executive at a nonprofit who wants to get better at fundraising, the YouTube channel is for you. It's for anyone who wants to share an idea that matters and mm-hmm. can't afford a speech coach. And obviously, if you're like a CEO or something, then it would be a coaching practice. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, are there differences... Um, in, in, in public speaking versus speaking in a recorded way on YouTube. So, you know, I publish these interviews on YouTube. I very rarely sit and record something where it's just me talking into the camera on YouTube the way a lot of people do, the way you do in your videos. Are there any, um, I guess we, we can frame it in terms of mistakes that people make when recording a YouTube video or something that is that sort of just you in the camera kind of setting? What would you, what would you say about that? Absolutely. So there's definitely pros and cons. I would say the biggest con with camera, because I struggled a lot on camera personally. I know it doesn't look that way anymore when you look at my new videos. Just go watch, go watch my first one. You'll see the big difference. The reason is because there's nobody to talk to. So when I give a workshop, I'm usually presenting to a couple hundred or a couple of dozen people. So I can see people, I can get their energy right. and use it to fuel myself. But when I started YouTube, I was alone in my basement. There was nobody there. It was a dark place because it was a dark room. And it was frankly very lonely. So it's hard to draw that energy out. But the biggest advantage of camera is that you only need to get it perfect one time. If you get it perfect one single time, you can share that video forever. So my advice to people who want to get on camera is to simply ask yourself, what impact do you want to make? If your goal is to help a dozen people, you really don't need to be on camera. You can just coach those dozen people and be done. But if your goal is to impact 12 million people mm. or 1.2 million people or a bunch of people, your only option, unless you were a blogger or something, is to be on video. Because there are some people that can't afford you or can't reach your ideas unless you share them openly. That's why I started the YouTube channel. I had no intention of making uh, videos. I wanted to be an executive uh, at a company, mm-hmm. right? but it's because I realized the bigger mission that I started doing that. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about, well, uh, one other thing I was gonna ask first, um, uh, webinar presentations, you know, in this virtual Zoom, we're not traveling for business kind of world. Um, I've personally done more webinars. I sometimes host webinars and I'm having to coach people through it. To your point of it, when it's just you and the camera, um, without an audience, I found webinars to be probably the most challenging form of presentation. Like you were literally talking into a black hole. You don't hear any laughter or response or any sort of energy or feedback, head nodding, arms crossed. Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts or advice around um, avoiding mistakes with webinars? Completely agree with all of what you just mentioned, Mark. That's the challenge with online presentations, the sense that you can't gauge anyone's reaction. So what's the tip? The tip is putting an emphasis on this idea of repeatable presentation. So I'm a good example of this. I had a pretty good speaking career. I was supposed to do 20 or 30 stages this year. And as you can imagine, that didn't happen. So most of those stages transitioned to virtual. But the reason I still did okay anyways was because I presented that, that pitch 400 times. So when I went back to the online world, even if it was challenging, I was able to bring all of the energy and all of the enthusiasm because I just imagined as if everyone was sitting there because I had practiced that one thing over and over again. Whereas the reason why most people are struggling with virtual right now 
is not necessarily because of the setting, but rather because of the preparation. They're doing the same thing that they would have in the in-person world where they're presenting the presentation for the first time ever, but now they're doing it in a much harder setting. So of course they're not seeing the same results, but for professional speakers, not even professional speakers, just people who, who are trainers, coaches, or anything, all you need is that one presentation, that one topic, and then you can do better. So my advice for, for those who want to get better virtual, two, two tips in particular. One is get better with the Zoom rooms. So get a bunch of people you don't like or that, are, that criticize you in a room virtually mm-hmm. and poke holes in everything that you do from the mic that you're using, from the way that you're, you're dressing, to the way that your hair looks, to the way that you speak, get them to put holes in everything that you do so when the actual presentation occurs, you'll be ready. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is imagine a perfect in-person audience. And this takes time, but you can get it right. So I'll give you an example with me. When I did my first podcast, I was scared to death. I was just sitting there and then saying, why is a stranger asking me questions about my life? This is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. But then after some time, of course, doing more shows and getting more experience, right. what I do whenever I go into a call is I, is I give a positive mindset talk. I just say, well, chances are Mark is probably a good guy. He doesn't get paid to do a podcast. He puts a lot of effort into this. So I'm going to assume that I've known Mark for many years. And then if you do that over and over again, you'll start to develop that mindset as well. Yeah, I think it's a fair assumption. I hope you would have assumed that I didn't have you on the podcast to make you look bad. I'm here to (laughs) let you share some of your experiences and, and give a little promotion um, to what you're doing. And I remember at some point I'd gotten advice that said, and it's probably generally true, not every single person in the audience, but people in an audience want you to do well as a speaker. And um, to a point where I think, you know, you, you maybe hear the, you hear the praise, but you don't hear the things that could have been better. So I really like your tip about getting, um, you know, a, a focus group together, a room of people that because you know them or because they're quote unquote negative, that they're willing to poke holes or give feedback so that you can make mistakes maybe in kind of a private setting before you go and make those mistakes more publicly. Is that kind of a fair synopsis of what you were saying? I I completely agree. And just to add a point to what you said, Mark, about how most of the audience are good people. I'll give you a concrete example to demonstrate this. If you're at a conference and you're picking Mark's panel over mine, that means you're spending an hour of your precious time that you could have had lunch with your kids mm-hmm. or your family or a friend with Mark. So the last thing I want Mark to do is to do terrible in the presentation or else that'll be a waste of my hour. I'm rooting for you. I'm just not with, I just don't have cheerleader, uh, you know, ribbons in the sky, but yes, I'm hoping internally that you do a good job so I can come up to you and say, Hey Mark, I really learned a lot. Thanks for making this a good use of my time. That was amazing. And the same way with this podcast, you want, to use this time efficient. You're rooting for me and Mark to have a good conversation here. Yeah. Or else you're gonna say, why did I waste 15 minutes of my life listening to this? Right. Same analogy. Yeah. And and just, you know, kind of final thought again, you know, thinking of, yeah, people are rooting for you. And I think a lot of times people are shy about giving constructive uh, feedback. So there's that that bias of like there's times my wife will ask, how did the talk go? And I'm like, well, there were three people who came up and said how great they, they thought the talk was and had something hopefully specific to say about it. It's really rare when somebody takes the time to wander up to the front of the room and wait and say something like, 
you know, that was really disappointing. I wish I had gone to Brendan's session <laughs> instead. You, t- you don't get that feedback. And I think, you know, again, back to the theme, one of the themes of this podcast, we learn from mistakes. And if all we're hearing is everything is great, that doesn't really challenge us to improve, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, my guest here again today has been uh, Brendan Kamarasamy. Um, he is the founder of Master Talk, a YouTube channel. I assume if people just go and they search YouTube for Master Talk, is that the easiest way to find you? Absolutely. They can just type Master Talk in one word. Or if they want to message me directly on Instagram, that's Master Your Talk. And, and say that again, the, the username on Instagram is? Absolutely. It's Master Your Talk. Master Your Talk. And then um, you'd mentioned that you do coaching. If somebody wants to reach out to you about possibly engaging you for that similar thing, contact you through Instagram or how best to reach you. Yeah. Instagram is the best way. Okay. It's funny. Often I, I, I uh, it's funny. We, you know, we all have our preferences on communication. Um, Instagram messages is about the last place I look personally. I went years without realizing that there was a messages function within Instagram. I thought it was just me posting photos and people uh, commented. So that was probably one of my mistakes. I wouldn't call it a favorite mistake, but I had inadvertently ignored um, the handful of people who had uh, sent an Instagram message. So, <laughs> so it goes. We learn from our mistakes. I hope you don't feel like, uh, Brendan, that it was a mistake coming on the podcast. No, absolutely not. It's great to be on. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you much for being here. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.